Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about culture, the church, and the, li- the church's life in the culture. Uh, my name is Derek Richmaui, uh, as always, and I'm joined by the full cast and crew, uh, Matt Anderson. <laughs> that was a great start, man. We, we are off to a great start. Yeah, this is good. Uh, Alistair and uh, Andrew and Matt. And then also we have a guest today, Preston Sprinkle. He is the vice president of... Eternity Bible College's extension campus out in Boise, and the author of Fight, a Christian case for nonviolence. And we wanted to have him on precisely because of of that book. But but I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let Matt uh, intro this because this whole episode is happening because of a tweet that Andrew <laughs> tweeted that triggered Matt, and we need to work this out. So Matt, why don't you lead it's- us in? <laughs> that's that's not that's not actually true. We've wanted to have Preston on for a while because Preston's a really smart guy who, uh, by all accounts, has written a really good book on these issues. Even if it's totally wrong, <laughs> I didn't even write it, and I just think that. Um, but uh, the precipitating event, the precipitating event was Andrew's tweet: um, "Bomb them, Father, for we don't know what we're doing. Things Jesus never said," um, which I t- I take as a reference to. <laughs> our strategy uh, with ISIS and um, the Christian response to ISIS and um, the temptation to go bomb people because we don't have any other kind of means of um, responding to them. Um, am I right on that, Andrew? Did I, did I interpret that? I've actually properly? never even heard of ISIS. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, you, would, tell be, me that's you would be reading it correctly. Specifically, it was a reference to the way that I saw some Christians on online talking about the immediate, immediate need of bombing more people in the Middle East. So, um, yes, but it was. You're right. Yeah. So, but but what got my hackles up about it is um, the uh, the the kind of uh, strategy of putting words in Jesus's mouth about war. And saying he never said that, um, which is a, a, a common trope among pacifists who are not nearly as smart or as careful or as good as our guest Prince, uh, Preston. And so <laughs> I thought I thought that we should talk about this. So Preston, um, to set us up, um, give us give us like, if you yeah. can, the thumbnail sketch for why, like the most compelling reasons for why you think that pacifism is the only way to be a Christian. <laughs> All right, I'll try to keep this under. I'll try to keep Three this under an hour. <laughs> uh, a couple, first of all, qualifications, I guess. Um, first of all, I don't. I don't actually like the term pacifism. There are twenty plus different forms of pacifism, and probably twenty of which I. Um, uh, horrifically disagree with. So I, I don't. Uh, I think the term is very misleading, and it sort of tethers me with all sorts of different people movements that I wouldn't want to <laughs> touch with a ten foot pole. So um, I, I do prefer the term nonviolence. At least it raises questions. Well, are you a pacifist? Are you not? It, it sparks a discussion because nonviolence is a little more, I think, intriguing. And I, I would even say Christian nonviolence. I think non-Christian nonviolence is absolutely absurd. 
it doesn't make if Jesus didn't walk out of a grave, the nonviolence is a is a sham. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's foolish. So I, I, I do have a very uh, distinct form of nonviolence I'd advocate for. Um, I'd also say I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with your statement. I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's the only way to be a Christian. I would be the first one to admit that, um, that this is uh, a very, very difficult issue. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's – I, I do believe in absolute nonviolence, so I do kind of go all the way with it. Um, but I, I – I, I, you know, I think there's good arguments on both sides. I just think there's better ones on my side. So, um, yeah, uh, a thumbnail sketch. I think I burned most of my time, but uh, I think the New Testament teaches it. I um, – let me be as brief as I can. Uh, I don't have a single verse or theme or good exegetical theological argument in the New Testament that would say that violence is sometimes necessary or the best way to defend the innocent. We don't see it in the pattern of Jesus. We don't see it in the teaching of the apostles. We don't see it in the book of Revelation. We don't see it in the New Testament. Um, and so as a kind of a progressive fundamentalist, I, I'm going to need to see something in Scripture, especially when Scripture talks about violence. It talks about the innocent. It was written in an extremely violent time, and it confronted violence. It talks about evil. It talks about bad people. It talks about what to do with bad people, and there's not a shred of evidence in the New Testament that says that violence is one possible way or even the best way or even the last resort to defend innocent people. So I, that to me is kind of a big one. That doesn't solve everything, doesn't answer all the questions about people <laughs> breaking in their home and wanting to kill your family. Um, but I think it is a very significant one that, um, oddly enough, a lot of people haven't even considered. Hmm. See, th this, is, <laughs> okay, this is why, so can, I say can I just say real quick, this is why I enjoy Preston is uh, a number of reasons. I read Preston's book, and I was so close to being almost mildly convinced. And that is the closest I've come when it comes to the past of this argument. Um, be, and partially because, because of his kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's the only way to, to be a Christian stance. It's not the full-blown power wash. You're not, you can't read right. You can't read the New Testament right if you're not a pacifist um, thing. And so just that kind of, I don't know, I just... I can sit there and talk to you. So I appreciate, I appreciate um, that. <laughs> that's my plug for his book, guys. If you want to be very close to mildly convinced as a just war person, Preston's is the, <laughs> is the book to read. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're you're out of luck. Um, but yeah. Matt. Okay, so so that's all that's all very well and nice, but let's get past the, past the pleasantries here. Who um, wants to fight? So, <laughs> so, so Matt, why don't you now so, present us with your vision, well, your vision in, in a nutshell of why the only way to be a Christian is to bomb people at every opportunity? <laughs> um, you see no, how framing no, the question on, leads I, you up the garden path sometimes. <laughs> No, that's right. I, I get to frame the questions for others. It's totally unfair to turn them around on me uh, that way. Um, well, so, so look, um, Preston's line about if, how if Jesus hadn't come out of the tomb, uh, nonviolence wouldn't make any right. sense, I think is right. If, if Jesus hadn't ascended into heaven, then the just war tradition wouldn't make any sense, right? So... The, the just war tradition, it, it seems to me, is grounded in um, a limited and partial judgment that uh, reflects or imitates the kind of eschatological judgment that um, we are anticipating. 
and there's a judgment against wrongdoers that uh, is done only by those who are authorized to, who have been authorized to execute that kind of judgment. And um, uh, it's for a time between the um, revelation of the power of the Son of God in the cross and resurrection and his second coming when all things will finally be made right. Um, and so it is, it seems to me, a practice which hinges upon uh, the fact that God has ascended uh, in Jesus Christ. Um, and I think the, so, so you know, the, the point about the New Testament, of course, is this is what everything hangs on uh, in some ways. Um, I mean, Paul in Romans 13 grants governments a lot of authority. Uh, the authority to judge wrongs and um, to defend the innocent. And I think that's the kind of authority granting uh, that the just war tradition points to. And the, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that the paradigmatic case of just war is not self-defense, but in fact, the uh, defense of those who are innocent and weak um, against those who are doing wrong to them. I got a thousand questions. Does anyone else want to jump in, though? Or um, can I, you can go can for it. You're the this. guest. <laughs> oh, well. um, Alistair, go for it. Alistair, never does. Okay, can I ask at this point, Can I'd be interested to hear Preston's definition of the term violence. Um, yeah. I would have to look it up. Uh, <laughs> it's in my book somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's there's whole books written on defining violence, so it's not a... Uh, I, I can give you kind of a quick definition, but that's assuming a, a much larger podcast discussion on working all that out. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm, when I talk about violence, um, I, I do talk about... I am limiting it to physical violence, and there has to be intentionality. So... You know, one man can slice me with a razor and another man can slice me with a razor. If one's a doctor performing heart surgery, it's not violence. If one's a mugger taking my wallet, it's violence. You know, so there does have to be intentionality. Um, I, I am limiting it to physical violence, although I, I don't. I mean, that would be I did that just because tackling physical violence enough would take a whole book. And talking about other kind of violence would would just be too much to bite off. So, um, yeah, physical violence with the intention done with the intention to harm or destroy, I guess would be a very generic. I, I have a much more thought out definition in my book, which I forgot because I wrote it three years ago. <laughs> All right. So Alice, did you have a follow up on that? Um, so for instance, would you distinguish between the violence that is involved in the military and the violence involved in the police? Oh, that's a great question. I would say, I guess, sort of. I, I don't. Um, what I would say is, I think that the um, the overall intention of the military and the overall intention, um, maybe intentions are wrong. I'm searching for a better word here, but we'll go with it. <laughs> the, the fundamental intention of the military and fundamental intention is, of the police is, is I think, very different. Um, that, but so, you know, military is kind of do whatever it takes to get the job done. And, uh, mil police is, you know, um, use with the minimal amount of force as possible to stop evil. I mean, I, I was shocked to hear that 
I think in 2012 in America, there were 514 deaths at the hands of police. That's, you know, more people die slipping in a bathtub than being killed by a policeman. So, I mean, lethal force by the hands of a police officer is, is even in America where, you know, you, you think that they're all gunslingers given the news and everything, but I mean, it, it actually is fairly rare, but I mean, you compare that with the lethal force performed by our military just on civilians or children alone, I mean, surpasses that. So, um, yeah, so I do think that the intention, the, you know, uh, is, is very different. The sort of laws surrounding violence is different. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, w- I would say that it's, it, st- it still does end up being, I mean, a, a violence, whether it's self-defense or defense of the innocent or an act of aggression <laughs> to find more oil or whatever is, is all at the end of the day, still violence. Okay. So that's, that's really helpful. Um, I think it's, you know, there's one way of looking at our contemporary military uh, system and saying, well, it's clearly not built and, and trained to um, follow within the just war tradition and its, and its practices uh, don't fit within it. But the just war tradition just definitionally does not accept your claim that the military is there to enact, to get the job done by any means necessary. Right. Yeah. Um, that's that's just structurally Im- impermissible. Right. You know, the just work tradition is there to establish the constraints uh, on uh, the military such that they get the job done justly, um, that they don't, sure. um, you know, break the boundaries of proportionality, yeah. that they don't, um, yeah. you know, intentionally harm uh, non-combatants. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, in, in, in our contemporary era, we have lots of difficulties sorting out uh who's who are combatants and who are non-combatants um and that's that's a major problem that's one reason that's one reason why european warfare um was uh done you know in the 1600s in these like you know bright colored clothing and so on right so that everyone could distinguish combatants from non-combatants easily um so, so there, you know, there are. The question is whether, um, sure, whether we're the the nonviolence position is pushing back against a real right. thing, no. uh, or if they're just reacting to yeah. you know, our contemporary. But let me just jump in and say, I, you know, even in my book, which hopefully you'll read at some point, um, <laughs> I, you know, at the end, I have a, <laughs> an, I have an appendix on, I have an appendix on just war theory, and I basically say the 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 just war theory at its heart is a sneeze away from nonviolence. I mean, just where theory says violence is so bad, so evil that absolute last resort, would you turn to this? So I, um, the, the principle of just where theory believes that violence is evil, just says that there may be possibly after everything's been done, it may be a chance that it's the lesser of two evils. Obviously that's not the way warfare is constructed today, but I, I, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I don't, both acknowledge the evil of violence, really. I mean, the just war tradition and, and nonviolent tradition. So I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. At the same time, when people are dying all over the place, I think we do need to argue what's actually going on, not some theory that was <laughs> that nobody's holding to or ever will. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do have a question. Can I follow up with the question? What's the original? Um, uh, this is for Matthew, the Romans thirteen. Um, you said God grants the government's authority to punish evil and, and you know reward the innocent. I, my question is, which governments? Um, 
Small Which government, government Matt? Speak. Quick. <laughs> What's that? Derek's just being annoying. Leave him alone. In, 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 in Paul's time, that's, that clearly seems to be Rome, sure. right? Uh, given that he's writing to the Romans. It's not clear to me that um, uh, that... I'm just curious what hangs on this question, right? <laughs> it was a real simple so, question. Wait, 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 I mean, is it all governments, good governments, bad governments? Is it which governments? Is it just Rome and doesn't apply? I think it's a essential because everybody quotes Romans 13 at me. I don't think they really thought through what, what they're actually quoting. And I, I have several other questions with that, but I, I've never actually heard somebody answer that question, quite honestly. <laughs> so, so even if I'd grant all governments, right, that it's not constrained by – um, some sort of canon of natural law that um, governments who do wrong lose their intrinsic authority, even if I was a kind of pure uh, divine command, like God grants the government authority and they are authorized to do whatever they would want. I still don't know how that would invalidate anything about the claims of the just war tradition. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe. No, I don't think that's the maybe case. Maybe not. Maybe, I mean. I, I, I think that governments are authorized in, in as much as they um, do the tasks which God has appointed them to do, which is, um, judge wrongs, uh, and primarily judge wrongs. So if, um, if governments, but that, 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 if governments aren't judging wrong the right way, then they, that is, they are not mediating God's authority. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. But that still would entail that, um, that still would allow, leave room for, um, uh, the just war tradition to step in and for governments to say um, respond to the wrongs that other governments have done through sanctioned violence uh, through through acts of war. Yeah, well, it's almost like asking. So I guess I just I, I don't see what hangs on it for for the actual like question of the just war tradition. Well, I might be. It's, it's like asking. It's like asking in certain certain texts. Okay, well. You know, we see these commands for parents, but which parents? Good parents? Bad parents? Well, all parents. And the bad parents are more likely to screw it up. Um, I was going to say, Andrew, you provoked this this skirmish, so do you want to weigh in at any point? <laughs> I, I will, but I want to know where Preston was going with that question. Well, well I just, I just think okay. people that I talk Dodge. to, leap, they leap from Romans 13 right past Rome and smack dab into a very, I think, specific narrative of America. And, um, I don't, uh, you, you could almost, I mean, given all the violence we've created, say in, in, you know, I, Iraq and Iran back in the, I'll be, be beginning all the way back in the fifties and sixties where we, you know, backed a serious dictator led all sorts of innocent deaths. And in Iran, you, you can almost say that nine 11 was a government sanctioned, justified violence against somebody causing evil against their governments. I mean, you could, you know, depending on your perspective, where, where, which government you're living under or even which government you're fighting for, I mean, I think that that opens the door to all sorts of um, possible sanctioned violence. Of course, every everybody with every, you know, a country and that is kind of bought into each narrative of each, you know, state they're living under is going to have a different argument. But I think it just, I think it does... I think it. I, I don't know. I, I do think it's a question that people do need to to ask. Um, and, and I don't see Rome as goodness. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, I would even back up though. Well, I have another question, but I don't want to change the topic at hand. So okay, so let me let me respond to that because two things. One, um, I would think that the fact that Rome 
that Paul writes this to Rome, and Rome has clearly um, done lots of bad things, would actually strengthen my point that um, governments have this kind of authority and that it is intrinsic to government as government, regardless of, in one sense, what they do with it. Um, but it's not clear to me, though, second, that um, the fact that a government has this authority, there's a question about over whom. And um, uh, Paul, that that is just not a question that the text answers. So to say that an act like... Um, and it and it act of attacking um, someone else unprovoked would be would fall under Romans thirteen as an act of authority. That would presuppose that um, the governments of the Middle East, Al Qaeda, had some kind of authority over the people of New York, and that's that's just clearly not the case. It clearly is an overreach. And so, you, so I, I guess I just don't see how that. Any of that matters. So you would see the, the authority as over the people under your jurisdiction, right? So that wouldn't – it's more of a policing function. And I would actually agree with that. I don't think Romans 13 is talking about Rome waging war against Parthia. I think it's about policing its own uh, people within its own jurisdiction. Um, that, that, that's a that's – a, Right. Uh, but, but that's an, uh, that's an argument the, for uh, America go, using force in policing but not right. an argument for America – Bombing somebody else. But look, the canons. Of, no, no, no. Let me get in. The canons of look. Even if you take a self-defense line of just war, right? If people do wrong things to our citizens, right. we have the authority to judge those okay. wrongs. So when we, yeah. when when right? when we, like, and so the governments <laughs> have. So it's it's yeah. So when you know. Thousands of innocent civilians are getting blown up by American drones. They have the authority to punish America. Is that what you're saying? And Christians in America should, in a sense, side with that divine punishment being mediated through whoever, Iraq, Afghanistan. Yeah, there's a, there, look, there's a real question about whether America is authorized to okay. do that. I'm totally happy to grant that um, – uh, in some of those drone cases, like America is potentially acting in un ways not authorized by the just war tradition. Yeah. And when America acts wrongly, we should expect um, uh, to be judged for those wrongs in whatever form that judgment takes. It may take the form of historical action where uh, other nations uh, execute justice against us uh, retributively. Um, it may actually take an eschatological form, right? Or it may take the form of a kind of internal corrosion and decay of our own society um, through the loss of our own concern for justice. But either way, I, I, don't, I don't think that collapsing the just war conversation into a full-on defense of you know, moving from Iraq to this narrative of America is actually at all helpful. That's not my position. I don't think it's most just warriors' position. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say let's the let's go to the the um, go back to that because I don't think any of us here are going to be pushing for an American nationalist. Um, all our wars have been great line. Uh, in, in this case, it is more of the the general theory. Alistair, though, you've been massively silent. I, I was going to ask you, do you have any input here on the question of Romans thirteen? I'd be interested to know. Preston's thought, where he talks about um, judging their own people, that sort of thing. Would he include in that, for instance, the suppression of um, rebellion in Judea 
in um, the late 60s and 70s? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if, uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, in a sense, I, I personally am going to not really side with uh, violent police in any way. So I, I would say the whole thing was, was wrong. And, and also, I, I'm going to answer your question with another question. I, I honestly don't know if I could answer that with any intelligence. Um, so I won't try. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, if we, uh, what, what constitutes our jurisdiction? You know, I mean, we kicked all the Native Americans out, so now are we officially in charge? I mean, Rome conquered a big part of the Mediterranean world. Does that mean you know, I don't? I don't want to justify imperialistic advances. And once you plant your stake, then all of a sudden now you own it. Just gets really, it just gets really messy. You know, I don't. I don't know if Romans thirteen can really. I don't think it's well, justifying imperialism. I, I don't. Uh, no, but that. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, with, I don't with, honestly with know. The, I don't know. With. With the just war tradition, there there are you can actually start to appeal to some of these issues when it comes to when it comes to um, whether whether things were taken by violence, whether there's some kind of restorative action going on, or or the the, the point is that it it can actually have teeth for some of these these situations where instead you've got with with certain nonviolent positions. No, it's just all you know. You shouldn't you shouldn't rebel against ju- unjust mm-hmm. government. Unjust government is wrong for fighting rebellion. Um, causing anarchy is terrible. Stopping anarchy is terrible because any and all of these situations are going to involve somebody, you know, some kind of violence. So if you're rebelling, well, I can't really stop you. And if you're stopping a rebellion, well, I can't really stop you. And if you're killing innocents in the middle of it, I can't really stop you because I might end up killing you in the process. And so there's this the, the just the non adjudication of any of the violence that will happen in this world. That is part of what makes um, nonviolence. It's not just the you know I don't want to invoke the unworkable argument because then they're like there's the well Christianity isn't pragmatic. We've got the resurrection, um, which sounds great, but. I, that's my that's yeah. part of my problem with some of these situations. It's just so, right. what the heck in most of most of human history? Right. What do I do with well, that? Can I give a couple qualifications? Also, when I talk about nonviolence, it is by the hands of of Christians. So, in a sense, I mean this entire discussion so yeah, far that's crucial. That's really that, that, I don't you know can America bomb Iraq? I guess sure. I mean I don't, the nations are going to do what they're going to do. Then they don't have the spirit of God. They don't. My, my main thing is developing a Christian ethic for the church. What should the church do in a violent world? That, that'd be, uh, I mean, in a sense of the, yeah, that would be a huge kind of turn in the conversation. Um, secondly, this is why I hate the term, or don't like the term pacifism. I, I believe that Christians should fight aggressively against evil. Uh, that's why I named my book fight. <laughs> I think, I think we should fight against evil uh, harder than anybody else but just the, it's we're arguing over the means through which we should fight should we fight by means of violence and, and that's where i would say that's not the christian way and i don't even think it's always the most powerful way i think i think violence can be a charade i mean we have been fighting violence with violence throughout history and how's that going for us <laughs> you know what i mean and and this is where there, there has been i mean our main thing is not to be do the thing that's the most effective but the most faithful that that's again i think a, a very um, 
different question we should ask. Um, but at the same time, I do think that history has shown, even though history doesn't always like to proclaim, that nonviolent action has been actually surprisingly very successful in ways that are shocking, really. Um, but we could... That, that yeah. Can, I guess, yeah. So you're, can, you're, can I come in on the and just back up, Preston, on the um, on the distinction between what we're what we're saying? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you accused me of ducking it. That is not normally an allegation I receive on anything, actually. Um, just, uh, just it's maybe slightly engaged. less than that, but even so, um, the yeah the, the distinction between because obviously Preston said here's all the reasons I uh, at the beginning of this you know what's the best case for nonviolence. Preston said here's all the reasons I think Christians shouldn't take up arms effectively and kill people. And then the discussion immediately tacks to whether the state has the license to do this, this, and this. And I think, obviously, in making that leap, there's an awful lot of, I think, important questions being begged. And I think the Romans 13 is going to be read in tandem with Romans 12, which is obviously the Yoda thing, where, Mm -hmm. um, as much as I would reject a lot of what Yoda does, not just in that book, but everywhere else, but I think he's... (laughs) broadly right on Romans chapter 13, which is that the instructions given to Christians in Romans 12 are deliberately contrasted within, with the references made of the state's power in Romans 13, sometimes to the point of using the same verbs and saying, you cannot do this, but the state is going to do that, or the emperor is going to do that. And I think that's significant. And I think sometimes the arguments, for me, my interest in it is, is a, a very sympathetic with Preston's view and pretty much represents my own as well. Um, obviously, the, the tweet that started this whole thing is, it is a lazy way of doing it, using that hashtag, totally can see that. But, but I do think that well, as soon as you, you see you see Christians having their heads chopped off and within minutes or hours, Christians are beginning to tweet about the value of bombing people almost as if, yeah, you go get them. And actually, that's where I think saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know, with, they don't know what they're doing is a completely different perspective than you often see. And I'm not saying Matt was the one tweeting it, but um, that, you, that you often see in Christian responses. Uh, let's Let's use violence as a way of responding to something evil that somebody else has done, which is to me, does fly in the face of a cruciform ethic, which is the point I was slightly clumsily wanting to make in a sort of meme-like tweet like Actually, the one I, I did, which I, I like completely concede is, is a lazy habit. But I, I like sometimes, tweet. sometimes the arguments used to, to validate, if you like, the, uh, the process of, of Christians fighting with the state. You know, the, the arguments even, I know Nigel Bigger and his podcast thing that I listened to with him versus uh, how us were debating it. And a lot of the sort of, you know, the argument from silence type thing. Um, well, of course, the centurions weren't ever told to do this. And John the Baptist never said that. And things. I feel like the, the assumption so often there is obviously if we if anybody becomes a Christian, we're going to hear about them leaving their life, their old life behind. And if we don't, then we know that they continued in it, which doesn't apply to the sinful woman in Luke 7. It doesn't apply to the Philippian jailer in Luke's in Acts 16. And, and I kind of worry that where it takes us is sanctioning not just, just war, but actually, well, the centurion was responsible for torturing and flogging people as a regular part of his job. So obviously torture's fine for Christians. And maybe how can you argue that we should give up that? And, and throughout, I think it's just the conflation of the ind- what's right for the state and what's right for the individual can become very muddy unless we sharply distinguish, as I think Jesus does and as I think Paul does, between the call of God on the individual and what it may or may not be right for the state to do. I don't disparage the second debate, but I don't think it's anything like the same as the first one. So that's why that distinction I, wonder, made, I think is important. I wonder whether there's so a distinction here primarily between the agency of... I mean, you talked about the agency of the state and the agency of the individual. Um, I think most of us would agree that it's not about individuals taking vengeance into their own hands, but there is a distinction between what the church is allowed to do. The church... Um, can excommunicate, the church can judge in various ways, and the weapons of the church's warfare are not carnal, um, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, etc. And yet, there is this place for the state, and 
the question is how do individuals play into that? And I wonder you talk about right. the importance of this success of pacifist methods. But yet, on the other hand, war has brought tremendous peace in our society. The society of today exists in large part because many battles have been fought. I think, for instance, of my own life, just about everywhere I've lived has been within walking distance of a battleground or something of that kind. So at the moment, I'm living just 30 minutes walk away from the Battle of Neville's Cross. The Siege of Clamell, I grew up just across the road from that. 2,000 were killed there. Um, I grew up, I spent time also in Worcester and last battle of the English Civil War and lived near the Battle of Shrewsbury and um, Hopton Field, these sorts of things. And all of these battles were fought in English soil. There hasn't been one since... Um, 1746 on British soil and that's because the success in establishing a hegemony through force over this place and a state through which peace and trade and all these other things that can solidify that peace and war has as someone like Stephen Pinker has argued in the better angels of our nature reduced the amount of violence in the world considerably and um, so the chance of dying, dying through violent death is a fraction of what it was um, in times before the rise of our sort of civilization. And the nation state has done a lot to destroy the um, violence that would exist where there are lots of competing powers. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, yeah, I would boom. Probably question Sorry. about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the. Yeah, that, that would be a huge discussion. I, I would kind of want more, I guess, statistics and facts out to have a logical conversation. There is a good book, actually. Well, good, I haven't read it, but I've read parts of it. Um, the Better Angels of Our Nature, who's that by? Um, he argued that Stephen Pinker. the world is beat. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I would, I would, we would need to lay him on the table and see if his, his facts are right. I, um, aside from him, I would probably very much disagree, but because he, he's got a very provocative argument, I, I would want to at least um, have a discussion about it. I mean, the stuff I've read is more like, you know, the, the civilian deaths in the last hundred years has gone from like 10% to 50% to like 90%. Um, the CIA alone has killed something like, been responsible for 6 million deaths if you add up all the dictators that they've installed and innocent civilians killed all around the world. I mean, if, so I, I don't, uh, you know, the, we, you know, we, we, we beat Hitler through violence and that created the cold war and cold war ended and that created all this stuff going on in the Middle East. And it's just, I don't, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not convinced that, uh, I mean, maybe sitting here in Idaho, it's like, yeah, we got peace, but I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I would need a much more evidence to say that the, the world is a, a less violent place right now. Those okay so. with, with that with that kind Those of are, that, that's not quite the that's not quite the issue though. The 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 pragmatics of of who yeah. you know which strategy over the last fifty years has has right. has worked better. And I think that's not your argument, right? You're not the pragmatic no, argument. No, but, not at all. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying to yeah, answer exactly. the question. But yeah, I would I would say even yeah. even if the world was even if bad people were dying all over the place, I would look theologically and say, is that really victory? Is Satan really losing? I mean, I don't. Yeah. The question the question of agency and state agencies. There's element. Okay. Right. So here's what the church can do. The church right. uh, lives in the world. Is not of the world. 
It just depends on all of the world's structures and all of their governmental entities and all of their swords to keep them safe and peaceful while they pray. Um, I, I'm just going to – there's just so many of these situ- – I know that, that was maybe a cheap shot. But, um, that was a really bad cheap shot. <laughs> that was a really bad cheap shot. Um, the here's the thing. I, I will say this. Let me, let me take let – me, let, me, let me back up. I am Preston. When I when you talk about the efficacy of of nonviolence in surprising yeah. situations, I've read a lot of those accounts, and I am I am with you. Like you said, nonviolence and just war in many cases is just a, a hair's breadth away. And I think the yeah. Christian march towards war, the the Christian march towards militarism, the Christian march towards right. in in America and places like that. I I'm yeah I'm with you on so much of it, but. I just have to say that that element of, okay, well, here's stuff that a God-ordained authority can do. And then here's stuff that, and, and it's not really anything that you can do. So, so there's apparently a God-ordained authority, there's a God-ordained authority that can use certain actions that you as a Christian cannot participate because even though this is a God-ordained authority meant to keep peace right. and establish goods that are common creational goods uh, of an order that God uh, yeah. prefers, justice and shalom. So, so there's this, yeah. there's this dualism. That, but that, that's exactly there, why does it follow that? That's exactly what Romans says, though. Why does it follow that? I mean, Romans there's, there's a dualism that I, I, I don't see. I don't see in the New Testament either. Okay, well, let me uh, quote so, it. Let me quote. Let me quote it to you. Then. <laughs> I mean, Romans twelve nineteen. He tells the church, "Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God." Then thirteen four, God says He avenges how through His wrath worked out through governments. I mean, the contrast between what the church is commanded right. to do in Romans twelve nineteen right, is directly linguistically pers- contrasted with what God uses through the governments. So let me just really quickly. Um, I, I think honestly, I think our whole assumption about Romans 13 has been slightly off this whole discussion. I don't, and I talk about this in the book. So Andrew knows. I think he's the only one. That, oh no, Derek knows. You know, I, I read it. I read it. Okay, so I, I, you know, the whole idea of Rome being a servant of God that is steeped in the Old Testament tradition about God using the nations to accomplish His will. He used Assyria. Assyria is called an agent of His wrath, a servant of the Lord. Um, Cyrus is a servant of the Lord. He's called the Mashiach. Um, we have Babylon being called a servant of the Lord. That doesn't mean that when the Syrians are skinning the people of Lachish alive, God's like saying, yeah, you're carrying out my will. What it does mean is that God is so sovereign, he can even use secular nations to carry out his will, to punish the evildoer, to punish Israel, to restore Israel. I think that that's what Romans 13 is saying. I don't think he's granting some sort of autonomous unilateral authority. I think he's saying I'm using messed up, jacked up secular governments like Rome, and I'm so sovereign that I can even use them. You see, the key in Romans 13, 1 to 7 is that God is in the authority. It's not even really the emphasis on the government. It's submit to God by means of submitting to this secular state. Okay, Matt. Sure, that that <laughs> makes sense. So there's, Let's close in prayer. Matt, there's two <laughs> questions. Let me. So, so look, there's two questions. Yeah. So one is. Um, does all of that entail that um, – so let's say just grant that you're right about uh, Romans 12 and 13 and this um, impermissibility of the church to participate in violence as such. Does that then entail that the Christian individual cannot go be a soldier and participate themselves in um, the work of 
the authorized work of the state, which is doing what God has ordained for it to do. It just doesn't follow that, say, individuals can't be soldiers from all of that or engage in, in that kind of violence. The second thing is that, you know, it's it seems to be the case. So let's just grant that you're right again about Rome and Rome using uh, being an instance of these uh, pagan nations that have been used and so on and so forth. The question is, can the church mediate to the government? Mm -hmm. Can the church bear witness to the government about the shape of the proper of proper justice here and now in this world? And um, uh, does that can that include? by the government, an authorized use of violence to defend uh, the innocent and to uh, judge wrongs, right? So the government, even if the church doesn't itself participate in the work of violence, the church might, by looking at the final, like, uh, revelation of justice, um, uh, bear witness to the government and, and show them the nature of the right in its proper manifestation here and now so that the government as government does not overreach its territories yeah. but actually uses its God-ordained authority as um, it has been yeah. given to defend the goods of creation. And so, so, so and yeah. that, that, uh, that is what the just war tradition I would, claims. I would so say at yes, least the, can we tell the, the pagans how to wage war? <laughs> I would say yes, the church should bear witness with a Christian ethic that the state should love its enemies. Yeah, I, I think yes, the church should and, bear and, witness love with is, the love is, ethic. Absolutely, right. And <laughs> and the question is, um, can love ever in this world take the form of violence? And it and it and to that question, I think we can say yes. I don't think we. One thing I wonder about <laughs> when we're reading a passage such as, I mean, the references to war in the New Testament are not only found in places like Romans thirteen. We also have something like. Hebrews 11, which talks about um, the faith of those who subdued kingdoms, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. How can we say that if we are nonviolent in our position? Because we, because we see it, because we see progressive change, transformation in God's ethics for the people of God from Old and New Testaments and throughout history, which is. Well, not throughout history, but through, certainly through up until the time of Christ and the apostles, and that's what we do about all kinds of things in the Old Testament, and I think we all would. Um, I don't think you have to then go into a sort of floaty, progressively direction in order to defend that. I think you just say, no, an awful lot that took place under God in the Old Testament, Israel is different, um, and that was a means of God establishing something, but that doesn't mean that we're supposed to do it. I, I assume that's that kind of, I think that is roughly how Preston argues, just at a lot more sophisticated level for the first <laughs> section of his book, isn't that right? Yeah, that I mean, that, yeah. Then you're tapping into how much of the Old Testament transfers over. I mean, I would, I would really be nervous if people started, if the church started taking up the ethic of Samson and Gideon and said, "This is what we need to do." Yeah, like evil. I, I would say we need to read that definitely through the lens of the cross. I mean, I. Um, Dude, what do you what do you got against jawbones, man? Come on, it's legit. <laughs> um, hey, I, I I hate to do this, but legitimately we got to wrap it up here. So I'm gonna give right. the final word to Matt because he's right and then also Preston went first so okay <laughs> <laughs> um, that is an no, absolutely I, I partisan decision in allocating <laughs> I, if, in many ways I started it with my tweet so I should get the last word but All right, Andrew, Andrew Andrew you can you, Andrew please take the last word I defer to Andrew <laughs> I, I would like you to have it 
Uh, every time, every time we talked about the Bible, we were right, me and Preston. So we win. Uh, no, maybe Matt, maybe Matt, you should finish. <laughs> no, look, I, these are these are really hard questions. Um, I do think that my my fundamental worry is a kind of um, abstention, a, a negation of the structures of this world as themselves uh, incapable of doing good. Um, and I, I worry about things like, um, yeah, I, I worry about that negation within the pacifist view and, um, nonviolent. And I think the arguments from, <laughs> I, I actually like pacifist more than nonviolence. Nonviolence frames it as a negation. Um, uh, it, it treats violence as the basic thing. It seems to me, um, that's, that's, uh, and is it a distinction? But I, but I do think that that I, I worry about that kind of uh, critique of government as uh, incapable of doing right, and the uh, the suggestion that the only way in which right is done in this world is th with throughout any kind of judgment, which would include a, a kind of retribution. Yeah. So uh, I know there's That's not a very good last word. I apologize. It is terrible. So it with that last note though, uh we just have to say Preston, thanks for coming on. This was fantastic. You we wanted you on precisely because you do articulate a position that um again doesn't give some of the some of the core theological issues that that we all share. So we we can actually trade verses with you, and that's right. part of the. But, but to, to be honest, yeah. that, that's 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 wonderful, and and so you know you're you're yeah. a good brother, and uh, guys, check out that check out that book, Fight by Preston Sprinkle, and I think um, Matt would want you to look at Ni Nigel B Bigger. How do you say that? Nigel Bigger, yeah. Bigger, yeah. Bigger, yeah. Uh, in, in, in defense of war, war or something like that. So yeah. uh, that's our show for today. If you've enjoyed this, please feel free to share it. Uh, review us on iTunes. If you didn't, you're probably a communist. So well, there you go. Uh, that's our show for the day. Have a great one. Go with the grace of Christ.